Welcome to Leadership Conversations brought to you by Lead Like Jesus. I'm Karen Conley and I am thrilled to introduce you to a wonderful guest that we have, Tim Olson. Tim, welcome to this episode. Thank you, Karen. Appreciate it very much to be invited. Well, we have a topic that I think is going to be fascinating for all of the, the leaders that are listening to this or watching this via video. And um, for our audience to know, we actually are bringing you back. They don't know that yet because um, the two episodes that we recorded, we just thought there's so much meat in it. Uh, but this topic maybe even needs a, a preamble. And so for those that are not familiar, um, Tim comes as an author, as an educator, as a pastor, as a life coach, but specifically we have brought him to this leadership conversation to talk about some of the discoveries that he made uh, as an author and through his life journey really, um, and put in a book called The Legacy of Absence. And so we want to spend this first podcast um, really talking about how businessmen and women might recognize some of the things that um, are, are related to maybe somebody growing up in a home without a father. But before we jump into a couple of those specific questions, Tim, tell us a little bit about how you um, decided to write on this particular topic. Sure. I spent uh, a number of years starting off as a life coach, um, doing the work, working with the executive director of the National Fathering Ministry. And in that role, I learned so much about the father and the significant role that he plays beyond my imagination. I mean, I was a father already. In fact, a grandfather by that time. And yet I was astounded by what I was learning. And then in my coaching business, I also had a lot of business clients. In fact, more and more of them were family business owners. Mm -hmm. And as I worked with them, I recognized again and again that, the, that at the, the root of the problem was the relationship between a father and his children or a father and his father. Or uh, often the, the owner would be the mother and it would be between her and her father. And so the father uh, message kept coming through so strong. And I realized that that message was, was coming through to many people, but not very much into the business world. Mm -hmm. And so I really felt led by the Lord to provide a book that would help spread that message a little bit more than I could do just uh, by word of mouth. And so that's really what led to writing the book. Well, I'm really glad that you did. And as I've been able to begin reading your book, I, I do want to encourage everybody to really get their hands on a copy. There's a wealth of information in there. And as we focus in on this particular topic, I think what we felt like would be most helpful is, is just an awareness of how much um, these underlying issues might be surfacing in the workplace that nobody would necessarily, if they weren't an expert on, on the legacy of fatherhood or they hadn't walked in your shoes, a, a business owner might not even recognize or a manager might not recognize within their employees. And, and so sometimes we are making assumptions about people's behaviors and why they're interacting certain ways in the workplace. And this just created an important lens that I thought would be really helpful for people to understand so maybe just to start off with, 
what are the behaviors that you typically see in a work setting that is potentially a, a clue or a red flag to maybe a, an absentee father issue that could be addressed to help? Okay, excellent question. And uh, I think we can be real specific about that. There are some things that I'd like to use to help uh, to talk about that would help to set the stage more or less for that and why it's so important. First of all, real quickly, there are four descriptions of fathers that I have made. I've divided them into four groups. And uh, it's not just my dividing, this is part of what's going on in the, the whole area of, of research with fathers. The largest group is those who are present physically in the family, but they are uninvolved. These are passive men. Now it's surprising that that's such a large group, but it is, it is more than a third of all fathers. Wow. The second group is those who are physically absent. They're not in the family and they are uninvolved. That is the second largest and that too is at least a third of all fathers. So now we're talking about probably 70% of all fathers. That's quite an amazing thing. And uh, the third group is those who are physically present and involved. And this is really the ideal. Mm -hmm. they're, they're at home, they're working, they're, they're with their kids, they're, they're, they know who they are and they're involved with them. And the fourth group is those who are physically absent, but they are still involved. Mm -hmm. And so that's an encouraging thing for that group. Now, uh, one other aspect of that that became evident as I wrote is that whether the father, if, if the father is involved, let me put it that way, if they're, if they're uninvolved, whether that's from, let's say, addictions or divorce or death, maybe they're in prison, or maybe they're simply working too many hours and they're a workaholic, the impact on the children, the negative impact, is exactly the same, regardless of which group that is. And so often we hear from business people, well, I'm providing, I have to spend all these hours away from the home and away from my kids, but that's because I'm providing for them. And that's really an excuse. And they don't realize that the impact on their children is exactly the same as if they never even saw their children, they weren't even involved with them. That's pretty devastating. So then there's one other aspect about setting this up that I think is important. And that is to understand the roles. And these roles uh, of both the mother and the father are based on um, uh, physiology as well as um, working with uh, whoever works with mothers and fathers and so on, sociologists, uh, um, psychologists, and so on. The mother's primary role is to provide a safe place, a nest, as it were, for her children, to nourish them, to protect them, to raise them. That doesn't exclude them being involved with work or sports or whatever, but it's primarily this, this nest that we're, we're talking about. The father's role, or a male father uh, substitute if the father isn't, let's say, available, the primary role is to prepare the children to actually leave the nest, to pull them out of it so that they can more or less fly, you know, being kicked out of the nest at the age of 18. In other words, to face life on, uh, in the world on their own. Now, this time of preparation is for the father to help them provide several things that 
are key to us understanding these roles in business, these behaviors in business. And those preparation things involve uh, four primary areas, developing self-confidence, self-esteem, maturity, and especially to know their identity, which means just like in Lead Like Jesus, that identity is about knowing who they are and whose they are. And I know you teach that and promote that. I've done that in my coaching for years, and it's a part of my book. I talk about it in there. In fact, I use Jesus' baptism as an example of how that identity issue really comes through and is explained. And so those are the, the primary things that the, that the father is doing during this preparation time so that they, the kids really can face the life then uh, on their own um, without them being around, you know, more or less being, like I said, kicked out of the nest. So here are some of those roles or some of those behavioral um, symptoms that you can see at work. One of, I've, I've grouped them actually into nine categories. Uh, I'm not gonna cover all nine. I don't think we'll have time unless we come back to it. But uh, one of those categories uh, is defined by these kinds of people, those who are defensive, blaming and accusing others, or perhaps creating rivalries by pitting people against each other. Another one is those who avoid conflict, do not address issues, can't say no. Maybe they're people pleasers. Sounds like kind of a wimpy group. <laughs> um, a third group, it would be those who are always saying, well, that's not fair. Or maybe they feel left out. They're not listened to. They're not consulted, not chosen. Uh, often have a kind of a poor me attitude. And a fourth group is those who have outbursts or displays of anger or temper. I think all four of those groups are those that you can recognize at work. Mm -hmm. And um, anger itself, I believe, is conflict that's risen to the stage or to the level of acting out. And that acting out comes through yelling, uh, getting big, you know, like whoever yells the loudest or has the biggest voice or the biggest body or, or is most intimidating wins. Uh, that's what I call getting big, mm -hmm. um, hitting, stomping out. And uh, contrary to that, the passive aggressive behavior, uh, silent treatment, cold shoulder, uh, maybe getting back at others underneath the surface of what's going on at work. Now, um, those four categories, there are more, but those four categories all to me are forms of anger, subtle forms of anger. Some are not subtle, but some are. Now, I define anger as an uncontrolled behavior responding to settings and people that intimidate. Let me say that again, uncontrolled behavior, responding to settings and people that intimidate. Mm -hmm. And one step farther for anger, I believe anger is a false sense of power, mm -hmm. trying to control the situation in inappropriate ways. Or maybe you could sum up that whole anger thing by anger is a false sense of power. So as you're describing these, Tim, um, 
gosh, my mind goes through all these different work settings that I have been in and think, okay, if, if I'm a, maybe I'm a mid-level manager or maybe I'm, you know, a, a, I have a, a family run shop or, you know, a few staff members under my domain, man, what you just described is a lot of various um, unhealthy behaviors. Um, what would you say are some of the reasons that those actually show up in the workplace? Let me start with that question. What are, what are some of the reasons that, that these show up specifically in the workplace? We're not talking about their home life. We're not talking about what's happened in their childhood. But if you're the boss and you're observing some of these negative behaviors, why would you say you see those um, manifest themselves in the workplace? Well, I don't want to sound like or, or have leaders think that they need to act like or sound like psychologists or psychiatrists and ask, well, what about your childhood or what was your father really like when you were a kid? And yet it is at the root of it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I mentioned that role of the father, because what we see in those four that I mentioned, those four categories of behavior is a lack of confidence, lack of self-esteem a lack of maturity, and a lack of a sense of identity. That's what the father is supposed to build in to prepare them to face the world on their own. And so those things are actually happening in the work setting. And if a person, um, uh, let me explain another one around anger. If a person is demonstrating anger, what's at the root of that often is transference. Now, People talk about, uh, with anger, the idea of managing anger. Managing anger is like putting Band-Aids on cancer. And it can work. It can help in the work setting, for sure. But it doesn't really get to the root of it. And if you go to the, the uh, root of transference, the definition of transference is a response of anger toward a person or event in the present that triggers an unrelated experience in our past that caused us pain. Now, I don't expect uh, if, if a person, if a leader sees anger, for them to even understand that. Uh, and and I'll explain how that works uh, or, or what to do, what we really should do, in in a little bit. But um, let me mention another um, thing besides that, besides lack of self confidence and so on, and that is abandonment. Uh, when the father doesn't show up as promised, and every one of us experiences abandonment, um, we, we have that same response of lack of trust. And what's really interesting is if, if there is a lack of trust, either direction, you know, the, the, the leader isn't trustworthy, uh, the people, the employees can't trust him or her, or the other way. The employer is having trouble uh, uh, building trust. Then um, the, the interesting thing is that we develop, research shows that we develop trust, or we don't, in the first six months of our lives. Isn't that incredible? Hmm. In, in the first six months. And so it's, it's like we all are going to be struggling with trust in some way. And that's why trust is such a big thing. We always hear in networking groups or in, in uh, 
business marketing and so on, that we have to build the like, uh, no like and trust factors. And trust is always included. How do we build trust? Well, I wanted to mention that, that that's where we actually learn trust in the first place to show how significant a job and problem this is going to be to, to build trust. But without building trust, we end up with some of these other behavior problems. Um, there can be a lack of skills like verbal knowledge, conversational skills, relational skills. One of the biggest things that I talk with clients about is conversational skills. We have a difficult time knowing really how to talk with each other uh, around areas, especially where there's disagreement or conflict. Uh, but there are many solutions, there are many great books uh, around that. And so I try to teach skills for that, uh, such as uh, one of the first questions to ask is, well, what do you really want for yourself in this conflict situation? And what do you not want for yourself? And to bring clarity to that, because most people haven't thought it through enough to really have clarity. And the other question is to, to ask, what do you really want for the other person? And what do you not want for them? And suddenly the, the focus shifts. Instead of it being about me and what's going, what am I going to do? It's like, how can I help them as well? And that, by the way, is a significant fathering approach. Because if we're going to help them with identity, we have to have an interest in supporting them to understand who they are as well. And for them to understand for themselves who they are. Tim, and, what I... Go ahead. Sorry, Tim. You know, some of the things that you've just said, you just gave us two really practical questions um, that, that I can imagine if, if there's a, a leader is dealing with conflict within their team, um, those two questions to, to be able to um, approach that individual and have a private conversation and to be able to ask them, you said, what do you really want for yourself? What do you not want? And then the same for the other person. Those are, those are some really practical questions to help resolve some anger or tension within your team. What are some other things that you would recommend that a business leader would do with, if they are sensing some of these issues within somebody on their team? Sure. Uh, that's a great question. And um, I've, I've, have put together a series of steps, basically seven steps that I use and I encourage business leaders to use. And the first one is to don't ignore the problem. When you see something coming up, you don't have to understand it. You don't have to understand where it came from or what's causing it to start off with. You know, that can come along the way. But the first thing is to realize hmm, there's, there's an issue going on here. And uh, let me use the example of a, a former employee of my own. And uh, with this person at business meeting or at weekly staff meetings, uh, I would observe in her and the other staff members did as well, some behavior that was kind of different or off about what we were doing. Um, she wasn't participating quite the same and putting up kind of a, a wall there. And so the first thing I did was notice that this was going on. And the second step is to address them in private. And so I even asked her in private, 
to have a conversation with me. And we met in my office then privately. And so I didn't understand yet necessarily what was going on. I just noticed that there was, there was something going on. So the second step is to address it in private. The third thing is to create a safe place and to let them know that you are for them. Now by that, it means I want you to be successful for who you are, how you do your job and how you relate to others. I care about you, you matter. Now, these are basically the fathering techniques of building identity into somebody to, to know who they are and to know whose they are, which means they, they uh, are understood, they're accepted and loved for who they are. These are ways to bring fathering techniques and it's really mothering techniques too, but however, with the family, it's been shown that the, the father brings a different dynamic to that that the mother can't. And the father cannot bring certain techniques or, or abilities to the mother's role um, to the same extent that she can. And so I just want to emphasize that, that these are very significant fathering techniques. So the fourth technique or, or fourth step is to describe the observed behavior, just the facts, no emotions or blame. And so with this person, this employee of mine, I said, this is what I noticed at our staff meetings. You kind of, um, you know, groan and so on about comments that are made and yet you don't offer any specifics of your own. We all kind of feel like we're walking on eggshells uh, when you're there and um, uh, I just try to be as factual as possible. And that's what I did with her. And I knew enough to notice that this was passive aggressive behavior by her. She didn't know that, uh, but that that was the term for it. And you don't necessarily have to. But I, I said that that's what it was. This is passive aggressive behavior. And uh, so as a part of that step of observing the behavior and explaining it, what we're, what we're seeing, then we listen to them to hear their explanation. Basically say, help me understand. And what's interesting about that is very few of us are ever confronted with our behavior, especially in the work setting. We tend to be ignored or, or, or what we do is ignored and we're tiptoed around and we, it's, they, they let it go and that's not okay and that's what I told her so we, we are not confronted with these things and we we just are allowed to go on with them and and that, that is what happens it goes on and on and on and so um, with this behavior we can uh, uh, ask them to say help me understand this and in that process we realize that they have never been confronted and it's a surprise. It's kind of a wake up call. Wow, you're actually gonna say that to me? <laughs> and this is a very healthy thing. It can be scary, but when you get used to being uh, willing to talk factually, see, remember I, I said no emotions, just the facts. And when you, you bring in just the facts, those emotions really do disappear and it's so much more easy to say these kinds of things. And so 
uh, as a part of describing that, help me understand, they start to ex uh, explain or kind of for the first time to themselves. For her, she did that. She said, well, I, I didn't realize how noticeable it was. And I asked her, in fact, where do you think that came from? And she said, oh, my mother's that way and my grandmother's that way. I said, okay, this shows a generational issue that gets passed down from generation to generation. And I, I warned her, I said, if you don't do something about this for yourself, you will pass this down to your next generation as well and beyond that. And so this is the kind of thing we can stop. We can stop generational issues. And so it was a big revelation for her. So that's basically the fourth step. The fifth step is to describe for the person, the employee, the desired behavior. What do you really want from them? And design a preferred outcome. And this can include your expectations and your consequences. And so I might uh, see for her, I said that um, uh, obviously this behavior is not acceptable. And if it happens again, I will draw your attention to it again until it is gone. <laughs> and um, uh, I'm not uh, upset or mad about it. I'm just saying this is the fact. Keep the emotions out of it. And she understood. And, and, and so, uh, so describing the, the preferred behavior would be that this just isn't going to happen. Now, um, in terms of um, what the des de desired behavior would be, it would be solutions too. So how would she handle that? She didn't know. I said, here's, here's an easy solution. When you can't decide, or again, let me explain that. She said she can't think fast enough to give an answer. And so she needed time. And because she didn't have that, she couldn't come up with good responses. And she was very frustrated. And that's how she was responding passively aggressively. I should have mentioned that earlier because that's an important point. And so I said to her, a, a desired preferred outcome would be for you to simply say, you know what? I have things to say about this, but I don't know how to say them right now. I need to think about this for a while. Could we take a five minute break? Or could we table this for the next meeting just to give me time to work through this? And I said to her, those are okay because I value you and what you have to give us as input. And so I need to hear those. I need to give you that kind of time and it's okay for you to ask for it. And she said, oh, that's amazing. That sounds so easy. I wish I had thought of that. And so um, I was giving her desired my desired outcome, my ideas of how she could solve that problem. And if I didn't have those, I could say, how do you think we could find those answers? The, the leader could say that. Let's research this a little bit. Who do you think knows this? In some businesses, the, the HR department could be a great help to them. Um, there's amazing helps and answers for things like this just by Googling them. And I use that all the time and come up with some, some great ideas. And so those are uh, solutions that help at that point. And in fact, the sixth step then is to help them to self-manage this behavior and offer other helps to them as well. And so she had ways there um, to self-manage. In fact, I sometimes will suggest to them 
that they write right at the top of their, their paper for their, their notes in the meeting, ask for five minute break if needed. <laughs> or whatever their issue might be, whatever the problem is, make it very practical and put it at the top. Then um, the seventh step is to kind of bring it back to the beginning again with that father type of influence by saying, uh, by, by reminding them rather that you are for them, by affirming them, forgiving them, accepting them for who they are, that identity issue, the self-esteem issues, and so on. Now, this is not to suggest coddling them, uh, enabling or excusing them, which is what is often done, but it's about caring. It's about, uh, about giving them those, those aspects that they probably did not get. That's why I went back and said, this is the father's role. They probably did not get those things well enough during that preparation time to make them a part of who they were. And as a result, it comes out in these sideways behaviors. Well, uh, Tim. Let me just wrap that with one statement. Yeah. The author, Stu Weber, wrote a great book mm -hmm. called The Four Pillars of a Man's Heart. And he says, true fathering has very little to do with biology, but everything to do with responsibly caring for others. That's a father's role is to responsibly care for others. Well, Tim, those seven steps are gold. I hope that if somebody's listening to this and they're, whether you are a leader as a volunteer in a, in a nonprofit or you're leading a multi-million dollar organization, you are dealing with people and people who are valuable to God. And as we try to lead like Jesus, um, I think one of the things that I've learned over the years is there are no perfect employees. We're all flawed individuals. So to think, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so to think that you have a problem and you can get rid of the problem by replacing the person is really missing the opportunity that we have to lead like Jesus and to Absolutely. say, okay, what are some practical steps that are reasonable in the workplace? And you just outlined seven. These are my um, shorthand notes, but for somebody who's trying to recap, number one, don't ignore the problem. Number two, address it in private. Number three, create a safe place for them so they know that you want them to be successful. Number four, describe the observed behavior. Number five, listen to them. At help me understand is really what I wrote down there. Um, five, describe the desired behavior, come up with solutions, help them self-manage for number six, and then bring it back around and remind them that you are for them. And so I hope that this will be um, seven great steps for, for any leader that might be dealing with someone with some behavior that is not acceptable in the workplace. And then Tim, I know we've got two more episodes where we're gonna dive into more of this, but if somebody wants to get a hold of you or some of the valuable resources to, to really take a deeper dive or maybe even a resource someone can hand to an employee for them to consider this, what's the best place for them to, to get access to your book and your information? Well, one way, of course, is through my website, timolsonauthor.com. And that's Olson with an S-O-N. And there they can 
see more about me and get sign up for my newsletter as well as order the book or they can go straight to uh, Amazon and order my book there and it is in either paperback or the the um, ebook format and well the book has so much more it's difficult for me to even narrow down to what we talked about in this setting because there's so much more and so I encourage them to get my book well I I think you have um, definitely highlighted the importance and in a proactive way as leaders, how we can just um, raise the bar and elevate the importance that all of us have in the workplace, in the roles that we have as mothers and fathers, and that we can be someone who promotes it to bring health and healing um, to, to all the families that our businesses impact. So Tim, thank you for your contribution. I hope everybody will um, tune in to the second and third episode to learn more and go to timolsonauthor.com to get more information and if you want more information on leadership encounters and some of the tools that we offer at Lead Like Jesus that really deal with the hands, the head, the heart, and the habits of people right in this space that we're talking about, go to leadlikejesus.com and we'll see you next time.